Welcome to the I2 Podcast. Our passion is to see the influence in everyone lead to impact everywhere. I'm so excited to jump into our episode today. Are you ready? Let's go. Excited to get in our conversation today here with a man that I know very well who has been probably the most influential person in my life, an incredible leader and author of several books, Out of the Seats into the Streets, Church Different, Planted Churches, started our nonprofit organization 30 years ago. The one, the only, drum roll please. Come on. My father, Ron <laughs> Dotzler, dad, welcome Thanks, to the podcast. Josh. Love getting together. We've got obviously plenty to talk about. Yep. Um, but I'm really excited to dive into today's conversation because it's so significant when we look at our culture, when we look at, I would say, the role that we play as leaders, specifically whether we're leading in churches or we're leading in the business world, the nonprofit, just really believe that we get to be a part of the solution when it comes to this idea of diversity. Yes. And so I know you, your story, our story, uh, has been one filled with diversity. I'm half black, half white. My wife's half Mexican, half Thai. I say our kids are the most beautiful mutts you've ever seen. Come on. Um, <laughs> so we have firsthand experience with this this thing called diversity. But starts with kind of going back to you and mom and just really the story that God's been telling through you. Uh, talk to us a little bit. You grew up in rural Iowa. Yep. Population 300, I believe. Yep. Uh, predominantly white. All white. All white. Yep. Um, black cats. I mean, any anything diverse there? <laughs> not much diversity. No, not, not much diversity. You go off to college. Yeah, you meet mom, who's African American from Washington D.C. I mean, talk about two worlds colliding. Yes, that's exactly right. Obviously, God gave you an eye for diversity from the beginning. <laughs> you guys kind of start your relationship. You go to mom's parents. You ask them if you could have her hand in marriage. What happened after that? Right. Yeah, I was excited. I thought I'd be a good gentleman calling up the outlaws, I mean the in-laws, to ask uh, <laughs> if I could have uh, we'll my daughter's hand in marriage. Part. And uh, mother answered the phone. She's a pretty strong personality. I said, I'd like to marry your daughter. And she said, no. Oh, I know it. I thought, oh my goodness, did she see a picture of me? And, <laughs> <laughs> or did she know how poor I really was? Uh, but so I asked. I said, so, uh, well, why? And she mm. said... Four simple words, because you are white. Wow. Yeah. That's the first time in my whole life anybody ever called me white. Right. But you've been white your whole life. I've been white my whole <laughs> life. Nobody ever called me white. Wow. Yeah. So long story short, um, uh, I told my, you know, my girlfriend at the time, which is now mom, my wife, and uh, she said, well, it'll, it'll be okay once they get to meet you. Mm. And so a few months later, spring break, we drove out to Washington, D.C., from the Midwest to meet the in-laws. And there they began to explain to me what it meant to be black in white America. Mm. Again, I had never been around anyone who used terminology like black and white. Yeah. And they began to ask me questions like, did you ever sit at the back of the bus? Have you ever uh, drank from certain water fountains or been denied access to things because of the color of your skin? Mm. And I mean, I was just... It was, it was so foreign to me that, to be honest, I thought they were complaining. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't. There was, I had no perspective to process even what they were saying. Mm. And, you know, when we talk about diversity, Josh, the reality is most of us have our own experiences right. that are so unique from others that we don't even have the ability to process it unless 
we really humble ourselves and intentionally say, I've got to listen to this. Yeah. I've got to hear this. I mean, it's the power of, of using our influence to impact the world. Yeah. But we, we impact the world based on our personal experiences. That's right. And those things that have influenced us the most. And so you're being influenced by this rural community. Yeah. Predominantly all, all white. Yep. You get exposed to, to mom. Obviously, you're in love with her. You want to marry her. You're exposed to her family and all that you're sharing. What was that interaction like? Did you, I mean, just receive what they said with open <laughs> arms and said, wow, I, I see what you're saying now. You guys have had it very difficult. How can I be a part of the solution? I mean, what was your even, you, you said you had no filter to process it. Yeah. So how did you process what they were saying? Yeah. So because I totally couldn't understand where they're coming from, there were two thoughts that went to my mind. Number one, they're talking about things that happened 100 years ago yeah. that doesn't relate to me. I'm not a part of it. Mm. And then secondly, they're just complaining. Right. I mean, get over it. That was 100 years ago, right? Mm. So I actually left that first encounter with them thinking that her family were a bunch of complainers. Mm. That's how I processed it. Wow. Not healthy. I'm not proud to say that, but that was my reality. Wow. I, it was so foreign, I could not even process mm. it. But I did process it by rejecting it, by having some response to it that wasn't healthy at all. And, and to some degree, you felt like it was offensive towards you yeah, because they were mad at the white community and oh, you yeah. were white. So they were mad at you and the way they were processing it. And they're telling you about all the experiences they've had from not swimming in the, the same swimming pool or sitting at the back of the bus or having to get transported to different school districts because of their race and color yeah. and the experiences they had. So they're sharing all these personal experiences, the heartache that they experienced personally. Yeah. But your filter didn't even allow you to hear what they were saying. You automatically just got defensive. And, and part of it was because they were mad, even specifically towards you. Exactly. Yeah. See, I was... I was the, the very people they were... You represented. Exactly, yeah. who, who they were mad at, right? So I left with a strong rejection of what I heard. Mm. And to be honest, over the next several years with mom, my wife, African-American, I'm white, we would walk into stores. She would say things like, these people are watching mm. me. And so over the next several years, I would say things like, you are so prejudiced. Right. And she'd look at me and said, you're the one that's prejudiced. And we'd have this little tiff. But the reality was... She had experiences, and I could see those uh, experiences coming out in her, and she yeah. would explain it. But then when she'd say, you're prejudiced too, I would say, show me how. Right. I was convinced that if you couldn't prove that I was prejudiced, I'm not attached to any of that thing in the past. Right. I am not the problem, mm. right? And so for several years, I was doing my best to continue to remind her, I'm not prejudiced. It's you. You're the one that brings all these things up. I mean, we went to this Orpheum Theater event one night. It was mm. just crazy. We walk in. There are thousands of people in this event. We sit down, and I mean, within seconds, she bumps me and says, Ron, do you realize there's only five black people in this whole place? Mm. And I look at her, and I'm thinking, honey, what are you, like the black monitor <laughs> or something? What is that? Right. She had a sensitivity. Mm. Obviously, she had experiences, and she tried to communicate them to me. I'm her husband, and I am not getting it. Mm. And so it's years that we are having these kind of conversations, and I'm constantly trying to say, I'm not prejudiced, and I'm constantly recognizing this girl is prejudiced. Mm. And, and I think it's important to, to note, too, and recognize 
you were living in the Midwest, in Omaha, Nebraska, yep. in a population and a community that looked a lot more like you yep. than like her in the suburbs. You're a chemical engineer. You're part of a church, predominantly white church. So you're, the environments that you were consistently in were rev- environments that reflected you. Yep. And so she would point out what she saw, which was not very many people that looked like her. And for you, it was so normal because you were yeah. in those environments all the time. You were like, you, you felt like she was always pointing out the negative yep. and, and people weren't seeing what maybe she was expressing and you definitely weren't seeing it. Yeah. I'm married to her. I mean, a lot of people say, well, Ron, I have two or three black friends. Yeah. I had a black wife. Yes. And I yes. couldn't see it. Um, so in the course of all of this activity, we had an experience one night. Yeah. So we have our first daughter, Keisha. And I mean, we're excited and we pull into the driveway and I'm looking at this little girl and I'm saying to my wife, honey, what a beautiful little girl. She's going to grow up, be a godly woman. She'll be a missionary somewhere. Mm. She'll marry some white guy. My wife interrupted me and says, not my daughter. She's marrying a black guy. I said, you got to be kidding me. And we had this little argument. Mm. And all of a sudden, as it got quiet, my wife pointed at me and said, see, I told you you were prejudiced. Mm. I couldn't deny it. I don't know. Where did that come from? Right. So then my wife went on and gave me a little scenario, and she said, you know, Ron, think of this. You're a chemical engineer, and you have to hire a chemical engineer, Mm. and he is black or he is white, and they come to you and you interview them. Which one are you going to hire? And I said, I'm going to hire the white guy. I just said it right off the cuff. Wow. She said, well, I'm going to hire the black guy. (laughs) I said, what? Why are you going to do that? I didn't even understand what I was saying. Right. That's how clueless I was to all of this. Right. And so my wife began to express to me that I had grown up in the white zone. And she said she had grown up in the black zone. And if I was going to hire someone, I would hire the white person. And she said if she was hiring someone, she would hire the black person because that's where we were comfortable. And all of a sudden, as she was communicating this, she then went on to say, you realize that our prejudices come from our preferences. Mm. Yep. That each one of us has preferences and that lead us to our prejudices. I think that's so huge because, you know, if you were to ask most people, just like mom used to say to you, are you prejudiced? Yeah. You said no. No. I mean, there's no way you could be prejudiced if you're married to an African-American woman. Right. But what you didn't understand, which is what she saw, was that you did have preferences. Mm-hmm. And those preferences produce the prejudice in us, whether yeah. we like it or not. And so none of us are, I'm, I'm not going to say none of us, but most of us aren't prejudiced on purpose. Right. But most of us do have preferences. And those preferences are a result of our worldview. Those preferences are a result of the experiences we've had growing up, what we've been exposed to. And so you got to this place where you started to recognize, man, there's something in me yep. that definitely leans in a certain direction, which started to open your eyes up. So you're living in what I would say suburbia in, in a predominantly white uh, culture. You move to the inner city, a yep. predominantly African-American culture. So you personally move from being a part of the majority to now moving into this community and really being viewed at as a minority yep. with a lot of the people you were working with in the community where, where you were in. 
How did that start to shift yeah. your paradigm yep. and your preferences and your perspective on prejudice? Yeah. You know, it's one thing to have a conversation and to, to recognize we all have been shaped. Therefore, we all have preferences that lead to our prejudice that also lead to some kind of action. I mean, we act it out whether we like it or not. Yep. But it's another thing now. So that's like having, you know, I've got two or three relationships of diversity, right? And we have some conversations. So I think I've arrived. Well, then we move into North Omaha. And I am the minority. Yep. And oh my goodness. I, I remember going to my first meeting. I'm, I'm with a bunch of pastors. And I'm thinking, you know, those pastors are going to love me and because, hey, they got some more reinforcements coming in to help them in a community. And I go to this meeting, about 40 pastors. I'm the only white pastor. Mm. And I have an event that's coming up. And so I wanted to share something about it. And this is how I got introduced. Well, as you can see, we got another white guy in our community coming in to do the same old white thing that they've been trying to do for years. Mm. And but he'd like to say something, so go ahead, Ron. Wow. And I mean, my knees were knocking, and I mean, I was like, whoa. So I was, again, seen as an outsider. Mm. I was not accepted. And obviously for years, and even to this day, there are a lot of people that have been hurt, yeah. rightfully so. They've been hurt. Yeah. And I represent to them where the hurt has come from. Yep. And so I have to walk that out. But I can say this, by virtue of now taking a step into that community where I live now, where I'm the minority, I have learned so much about this, uh, this issue of diversity. We live in yeah. a racialized world, whether we like it or not. Mm. But those of us that are Christ followers, those of us that have great influence and even want greater influence, mm. we've got to lean into diversity. Yeah, I think you're... you're voice and your perspective is so huge because consistently what I hear and what we hear is there is a white community and, and, and church leaders that want to be a part of the solution and they want to be a bridge when yeah. it comes to racial reconciliation and diversity. But there hasn't been a lot of, I would say, white voices right. that really understand and can communicate uh, what you're sharing with us, that you had a prejudice, that your preferences led to a prejudice. And until you became a part of the, until you were a minority mm -hmm. in, a, in a community that was majority African-American and black, you started to see things from a different perspective. Right, that's correct. It started to shift. You started by you getting married to yep. an African-American woman, then you move into this community and you're, you're forced to start to shift the way you see things and see the world. I hear some uh, leaders, when they see an African-American who's speaking or, or who has great influence in multiple cultures, and they'll look at them and they'll wonder how they can have the type of influence where they can bridge cultures mm -hmm. and bridge races yeah. and become a part of the solution for reconciliation and for diversity. What would you say, what would you say to those individuals that want to be a part of the solution, how far do they have to go to really seeing somebody else's point of view in order to really understand what we're talking about? Yeah. Well, I think you're seeing in culture today, and this is why uh, this topic is so important. You're seeing in culture today, those that have the most diverse perspectives have the greatest voices. Yeah. And so a lot of people will look at it and say, well, I just need to work on my communication mm. skills. I just need to work on my content. Well, the reality is the, the greatest content you can work on is becoming culturally sensitive and aware to the issue of diversity, mm. understanding different cultures. And so I would highly encourage people, if you have two or three relationships, one year from now, 
have eight or nine yeah. of diversity because those kind of relationships where you can start to have these kind of conversations is only going to help you grow. Be involved in a community of diversity. If you're not, be involved. You know, as a white person, when I was in the majority culture, I had privileges just by being white. Right. You ever hear of white privilege? Right. I never understood that for right. years. Well, now I, I can because just by being white and being a part of the dominant culture, I could walk into stores. My wife, your mother, by the way, she would say, people are looking at me. They, there was, she did not have the freedom of access that I had. Yeah. I mean, just like a job, I told you, I would have hired the white guy. That was just natural for me. And so if you're part of the dominant culture, it's just you have those privileges. You walk in for an interview, you're going to have an advantage that you didn't do anything to earn. It's just there because you're part of the majority. Mm. Well, now as part of the minority, I don't have those privileges yeah. now. And I notice it. I mean, I'll walk in and let's say basketball. I mean, I like to play basketball. I played college ball. I remember walking in the court and uh, in my younger days, and here are all these wonderful basketball players, and I am one out of, you know, let's say, 50 African-American right. kids on the court, right? I'm the last one picked right? until the first day. After that, they could see I could play ball. Yeah. But I was the last one picked because yeah. what did I represent? I didn't have the same privileges. So that white privilege thing is very interesting yeah. when you get to it. I, I love uh, Kyle Korver, who's a friend of ours, came yeah. out with an article. And, and he's similar to you and just his experience and growing up in a predominantly white community. Plays in the NBA, has played there, I think, six, around 16 seasons. And he wrote an article in the Players' Tribune called uh, Race in the NBA. And talks about his experience uh, of being a part of the, he's really one of the minorities yeah. in the NBA when it comes yeah. to players and just the culture that the NBA has been built upon and talks about how he grew up in a Christian home where we would sing the song, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. And so he grew up with this paradigm that I don't see color. Right, exactly. That we're all equal. Yep. And that was a very... Mm -hmm. um, faith, church-driven paradigm yeah. that many of us grew up uh, buying into. Yep. And he talked about how that paradigm actually didn't allow him to see the reality of color. Yeah. And the reality that color does matter, whether it's you're, you're, you're going to play basketball, pick up basketball game, and they pick the white guy last because they don't think the white guy can play, or you walk into a, a store and you're an African-American and everybody's watching you to yeah. see how you're going to act, or, mm -hmm. or you're going after a job interview and you're getting interviewed by somebody of the similar color to right. you. Right. And, and he talked about how some experiences for him in the NBA caused him to start to see color. Yep. And until we see color, A, we can't value color yep. and value our differences, but also we can't really be a part of the solution if we don't understand that there's some real challenges, not only in our world, but in our own paradigm yep. and the preferences that we all have and carry. Exactly. We don't want to be colorblind. Yes. We want to be color brave, yeah. color bold. Yeah. We really want to lean into diversity, really with a sensitivity, a humility that says, let me understand where you're coming from. You know, the whole Black Lives Matter, for example. Yeah. I mean, immediately there was a dominant response. Well, everybody's lives matter. Right, right. They, no one ever had the sensitivity or the humility to say, wait, why are people saying this? What's behind someone saying right. Black Lives Matter? And if we take the time to start to listen more, <laughs> yeah, what is it? We have two ears and one mouth. Yeah. If we take twice as much time to listen, I'm telling you what, when it comes to diversity, we can learn so much, and our own voice 
and our own influence can greatly increase. Yeah. And even for me as a mixed kid, black and white, it's so easy for me to get caught up into either being cynical or yeah. this idea of staying curious. I mean, yeah. I, I look at the, the, the scriptures and I think just as Christians, yep. this is the call of our lives. When Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, mm-hmm. yourself was actually this idea of people who looked like you. It was the culture that they were in. Your neighbor in the story Jesus tells was of a Jew mm. helping and loving on a Samaritan. Yeah. It was somebody who looked different than mm. you. Right. And so if anybody's called to be a bridge of reconciliation, to be a part of the solution when it comes to this area of diversity, yes. it's us as Christ followers. We all have influence in some area, and we can all use it to be a part of impacting our world specifically when it comes to this idea of diversity. Love having mm. these conversations, so helpful. I know there are so many people listening. They want to be a part of the solution. And so our encouragement would be find out either people in your sphere of influence in your city that don't look like you, talk like you, sound like you, get next to them, learn from them, stay curious, and then use your platform of leadership to really create environments where your church, your organization, where they can really start to have those personal experiences that can lead uh, to, to, to really being a bridge of diversity. Yeah, if I could leave with one encouragement. Yep. We oftentimes say, you know, Jesus didn't come to take sides. Yeah. He came to take over, right? Yeah. If you find yourself taking sides related to diversity, I'm taking yep. the white side or I'm taking the black side. Mm. If you find yourself taking sides, that's not God's heart. Mm. There's actually a third narrative. Yep. And as you and I begin to pray into it, and as we begin to talk to people, I think we'll come up with a third narrative, which will be a solution yep. that will change the dynamics yep. of diversity. Yep. I love it. Well, thanks again, Dad. Mm-hmm. Always good to be with you. Thank you for joining us on our episode today. We hope you're inspired to use your influence to impact your world.